It is great to see all of your faces are in the room. For those of you joining online, it's good for you to see my face, I guess. Today, we're in part seven of an eight-week series that we've called Starting Point, and throughout the series, we're talking about faith in Jesus, or what some people have labeled faith in, in you know, the Christian faith. And kind of the premise of this series is that faith has a starting point. And you, and you know how something starts usually determines like how well it goes from that point forward. Well, it's no different with faith. The, the starting point for faith changes everything. The right starting point for faith changes everything, and the wrong one does too. And after watching people and talking to people, you know, throughout the years, one of the things I've concluded is that one of the reasons people, you know, are hesitant to start faith, abandon faith, lose faith, just become disinterested in faith, question their faith in Jesus, is simply because they didn't have the right starting point for faith. I mean, without the right starting point, when we're you know, when faced with the pressures and the realities and the hardships and disappointments of life, faith in Jesus, it becomes irrelevant and frustrating and confusing and like a house of cards. And when the pressure and the realities come and, you know, kind of, you know, you know on, onto our faith, our, our faith just ends up falling like a house of cards. And I just watch it happen to so many people and I think, man, if they'd had the right starting point, it wouldn't be that way. So we decided to do this series, hit the restart button by answering the question, what's the right starting point for faith? I mean, what's the right starting point for people who are considering starting or restarting faith in Jesus or interested in reigniting or growing their faith in Jesus? As I've said every week, this is a journey. We've been on a journey together. And it's to, to truly grasp the fullness of what I'm going to say today, it's really important that you have all the pieces of this journey. So if you missed any week of this series, please go back and listen to it after today because it'll help you grasp the fullness of really what I'm saying today. The, the past few weeks, I've actually told you that today I'm going to share the one and only reason I believe what I've said the last six weeks to be true. And the one and only reason I think everyone should put their faith in Jesus. Now, I'm just going to be honest up front. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of today. And I'm going to be honest with you as well. I think you should really consider that or strongly reconsider putting your faith in Jesus today. But before we get to all that, I want to spend some time talking about the word faith and, and what it is since this series is all about the starting point for faith. Because here's what you've got to know. Faith or belief, by the way, I'm going to use those words interchangeably. Faith or belief is perhaps the most confused, misused, and abused concept in quote-unquote religion. I mean, belief, faith, belief is not a religious word, but it's so often used in that context. And, context, and when, unfortunately, whenever it enters that context, it gets all mystical and mysterious and weird. And so today I want to take some of the mystery out of it because it's not mystical. Like, faith is just faith. Belief is just belief. And as you're going to see in just a second, you express faith, belief, all the time. And almost every single of your area of your life has nothing even to do with spiritual belief. So I want to take a step back and look at what belief is in the broader context. I want to paint a picture of what belief is in general and how it intersects with everything in our lives. Because you need to understand how faith how belief works in general in order to have the right starting point for faith in Jesus. So real quickly, just four observations about belief or faith in general. And the first one is that belief is the most powerful force in our lives. And you maybe haven't thought about it in these terms before, but you'll agree if you think about it. Everything that's ever been accomplished and every problem that's ever been solved was because someone believed it could and it should be. I mean, we've all seen scientific mountains, financial mountains, medical mountains, um, equality mountains move because someone believed that they could be moved and they should be moved. Belief, it's behind every good, it's behind every evil that's ever been done, that you have done, 
horrible and extraordinary things have happened in our world because of belief. I mean, in the 1700s, our country was started because of belief. In the 1800s, our nation was divided, went to civil war, 800,000 people died in that war because of beliefs. World War II happened because of conflicting beliefs between Hitler and the rest of the world. This is powerful. Belief is powerful. And we all have control over what we end up believing, but it is greatly influenced by our environment, by our family, by our friends, by our upbringing, by our social economic status, by our geography, you know, what country we live in, where, what part of the country we live in. This is why you see certain pockets of the country all have the same, you know, majority political, you know, viewpoint, because it's all influenced by, you know, our belief is influenced by our environment and our, by our geography. It's interesting, once we believe something, it really dictates everything. It dictates our perspective, our emotions, our mindset, our actions. No matter if what we believe is true or not, belief is the most powerful force in our lives. And we haven't even got to spiritual belief yet. This is just the power of belief in general. Here's kind of the second general observation about faith, about belief. We, we constantly look for evidence to support what we believe. I mean, once we uh, embrace a belief about family, money, politics, well-being, business, once we say, man, I believe that's the best way to do that, we constantly, I don't think consciously, but constantly look for evidence to support it, and we dismiss everything that doesn't support it. This is especially true of Republicans, and Democrats, and Libertarians, and Independents, and everybody. I mean, we all do this all the time. I mean, have you ever noticed how quickly you become defensive when information that contradicts a belief that you have is presented? I mean, you know, we've all done this. We're watching TV, looking at social media, and all of a sudden, some information that contradicts something we believe is presented, and, uh, you know, or, or some information that supports something we believe presented, and we're looking at everyone saying, see, I told you, I told you, this guy's so smart. Listen to him. I told you that was true. But as soon as a contradictory, you know, contradictory information is presented, you're like, you can't trust them. Can't trust anything they say. Fake news, change the channel. I mean, everybody does this. It's just the way that belief works. The problem with that is the problem when we adopt a belief that isn't true, it makes it so hard for us to be open to anything else. It can actually cause us to actively resist what's true. It's one of the things that makes belief so powerful and so extraordinary and one of the things that makes belief so dangerous and misleading. I'm not really talking about spiritual belief yet. Here's a third kind of general observation about belief. Belief is easy to maintain within a, within a community of shared belief. And this explains so much. And why is belief easier to maintain within a community of shared belief? Because in a community of shared belief, not only are you allowing information in to support your belief and you're filter, filtering contrary information out, but you're surrounded by other people who are doing the exact same thing. And so if you start questioning if what you believe to be true, you know, they kind of bring you back in line and go, no, here's what we believe, here's why you're like, oh yeah, and they kind of bring you back. Once once you get in a community of shared belief, a team, a group, a school, a fraternity, sorority, a church, a neighborhood, a gym, once you get in a community of shared belief, the belief that you have, it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And here kind of the fourth, just general observation about faith or belief. Belief hinges on the phrase, believe that. And you know this, I believe that. COVID's the most deadly thing that's ever been ever in this world, or I believe that. COVID's blown weight out of proportion. I believe that no one should own a gun. I believe that it's my right to own a gun. I believe that, you know, uh, abortion is a woman's choice. I believe that abortion is murder. I believe that everything happens for a reason, or I believe everything is by chance. 
And what's deceiving and what's so powerful about belief is, is that you'll end up seeing what you want to see to support your believe that. And when something doesn't support it or seemingly proves that your belief that is wrong, you'll come up with all kinds of excuses to justify why your belief that is still correct. So that's just belief. That's just faith in general, in a nutshell. And we've all been affected for better or for worse by, you know, what we believe. And, and we've, uh, you know, affected others for better or for, wor- for worse by what we believe. But how does spiritual belief, what some people have labeled as religious belief, how does spiritual belief intersect with general belief? And here's, here's how it does. Spiritual belief is simply belief applied to things of a spiritual nature. That's it. Spiritual faith is not power. It's powerful because belief is powerful. Furthermore, once we embrace a spiritual faith, we automatically and constantly look for evidence to support it, and we dismiss everything that doesn't. Why? Because that's just the way that belief works in everything in our life. Once again, spiritual belief also hinges on the phrase, believe that. Jews believe that they were and are God's chosen only people. Muslims believe that God gave Muhammad revelations in a cave through the angel Gabriel. Buddhists believe that the gods cannot help, so you got to help yourself. Hindus believe that every person's reincarnated. Atheists believe that there is no God. Christians believe that Jesus is the Son of God and died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Furthermore, you gather enough people who spiritually believe that together, and you have yourself a religion. And then you put a persuasive leader out in front, and the next thing you know, a movement begins. And this explains the rise of all the major faith traditions, faith systems, you know, faith religions. But it doesn't explain the rise of Christianity, and I'll talk about that in just a second. Finally, believe that, and any spiritual believe that, believe that deeply enough, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It just does. You get enough people believing that, whatever that spiritual belief that is, you know, looking for evidence to support it and filtering out everything that doesn't. And you put them in a community and, what, and you, know, they, you know, what they believe ends up becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's true of Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and Christians. I mean, if you believe that God answers prayers, you're going to see God answers prayers because you're looking for it. But all of a sudden, when God doesn't answer a prayer, you'll start coming up with excuses because you've got to filter out any information that doesn't support your belief that. And so you'll be like, oh, it must be because you had sin in your life or not enough faith or whatever the case may be. And that's spiritual faith. And that's spiritual belief in a nutshell. And I get it. Some of you right now are just going, I love this church. Finally, a pastor who's honest and just, you know, out there saying that just faith is like just some Jedi mind trick on everybody. And, you know, it's just for the naive people and it's just for simple-minded people looking for answers to questions. And you're right. We are looking for answers. But so are you. You're looking for answers as well. So we all do this, and you know, uh, all, all the time. So because of that, there's a few options. Option number one, completely remove any spiritual belief from your life. You could just, you know, completely remove it. And you can try to do that. But I think you're going to have a really hard time doing that. Especially because there's something inside of all of us. There's just something bigger than us. There's more to this life. We're not here by chance. And because of that, it's just almost impossible to completely remove any spiritual, you know, faith from our life. So the second option is pick a faith, any faith. Just pick one. And you should definitely pick one because study after study show people with deep, deep spiritual faith, they're happier, they live longer, they have healthier relationships. So at the very least, pick a faith, get in a community of people who believe the same things. Let's close in prayer and get out of here. All right, so what are we doing here? 
What I want to do for the rest of our time today is I want to tell you why I'm a follower of Christ. I want to tell you why I have put my faith in Jesus and why I think you should consider, at least strongly consider, putting your faith in Jesus as well. And you got to know what I share next, what I share next is the central thing to having a right starting point in faith in Jesus. What I share next is the one and only reason anyone should ever consider putting their faith in Jesus. What I share next is the only reason that I have put my faith in Jesus. And if you're a follower of Christ, if, you, if you've put your faith in Jesus, I hope what I share next is a huge encouragement to you because so often we treat our faith like every other faith system, and it's not. What I share next is the foundation of all the other believe that's that we, that we have as followers of Christ. Now, earlier in this series, I said that the right starting point for faith begins with a question, and the question is, who is Jesus? And we've got to answer that question for ourselves. But before we can answer that question for ourselves, it's important that we first know who Jesus himself claimed to be. Now, Jesus, right toward the end of his, you know, three-year ministry, he has his closest you know, followers together, his 12 disciples together, and he asks them essentially this question. He looks at them and says, hey guys, after all this time of listening to me, following me around, seeing everything that I've done, who do you say I am? And Peter, one of the 12 disciples, who, you know, one of his closest friends, looks at him and says, I know who you are. You are the Messiah, the Messiah we've been waiting for, the Savior we've been waiting for, the Savior of the world, the Anointed One, the Son of God. You are God himself. And without hesitation, Jesus looked back at him and said, you are are exactly right. That's who I am. Woo! And statements like that from Jesus created a lot of problems for Jesus. Statement like that's from Jesus gave the Jewish religious leaders grounds to convict him of blasphemy. See, the problem with Jesus was who he kept claiming to be and what he kept claiming he came to do. Jesus said things like this, I am, I am the resurrection, and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He's, he's, hey, I'm not just here to tell you about a resurrection. I'm not just here to tell you about life. I am the resurrection. I am the eternal life. The one who believes in my principles, nope. My ideas, nope. My ideologies, nope. The one who believes in me will have eternal life. And then, as that wasn't enough, he went and said things like this. I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm not a truth. I'm not a way to life. I am the way, the truth, the, the, the life. Only those who trust in me are reunited and experience a restored relationship with God in this life and in the next. You're like, what is he talking about? See, what differentiates Jesus from the founders and leaders of the world's major, world's major faith traditions all throughout history is that Jesus didn't come to start another religion. He came to restore a broken relationship with God. Jesus didn't instruct people just to believe in his ideas and his ideologies. 
like every religious leader and every religious founder. Jesus didn't leave his followers with a collection of spiritual insights to pass on to the next generation like every religious founder and religious leader. See, Jesus went way too far for that, and he claimed way too much for that to be the case. See, at the center of Jesus' teaching was a, was a, was a single believe in. Jesus didn't ask people to believe that. He didn't ask people to believe that, believe that, believe that, believe that, believe that. He called people to trust in him. This is so different. He kept inviting people to believe in him as the resurrection and the life. In him as the way, the truth, and the life. In him as the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, God himself. He kept inviting people to put their faith in him for their life and hope and peace and joy and assurance. Inviting people to put their faith in him for their forgiveness and their salvation and for their relationship with God to be restored in this life and in the next. See, from start to finish, the message of Jesus was who he was and what he, only he could do and to put and to place our faith and our trust and our belief in him. In all of history, Jesus is the only person who has ever stepped forward and said, I don't simply have a solution. I don't simply have a solution to all your questions and all the tensions you feel and where am I at with God. I don't simply have a solution for all that. I am the solution to all of that. And whoever would say such a thing is either crazy or insane or is lying or is worth paying attention to. Now, many of Jesus' followers believed he was exactly who he claimed to be. But then, but then they saw him die on a cross. And you have got to know this. When Jesus died, those closest to him believed that he would stay dead. Which makes sense, because dead people stay dead. And that was a huge problem. Because of who Jesus claimed to be. When you were considering the starting point for faith in Jesus, you have got to know that when Jesus died, everyone's faith in him and who he was died with him. When Jesus died, no one believed that he was the Messiah. Not one person. No one believed that he was the Savior of the world. Not one person. Peter's like, yeah, I know I said he was the Messiah before, but he can't be the Messiah now. And you're like, why, Peter? Because he's dead and the Messiah can't die. When Jesus died, no one believed that he was the son of God. Not one person. Hey, John, John, what do you believe about Jesus after spending all that time with him and now that he's dead? And John would say, I, I, I believed he was the son of God, but not anymore because the son of God can't be killed. When Jesus died, no one had any intentions of keeping Jesus' teachings alive. Not one person. There was no discussion among anybody about how to keep, you know, Jesus' message alive and Jesus' mission alive because the message was dead. The mission was dead. Jesus was the message. Jesus was the mission. And these guys, these, these people, they weren't going to risk their lives losing their, you know, risk losing their lives over a fake Messiah and passing on some teachings that he gave. And they didn't care about the prodigal son story and the good Samaritan story. That guy's dead. All that stuff doesn't mean a thing. When Jesus died, no one believed his message. Not one. When Jesus died, no one believed who he claimed to be. Not one person. All the people who followed him before are going, hey, I don't believe anything about who he claimed, who he claimed to be because the resurrection and the life can't be crucified. But there he is, nailed to a Roman cross, and there they saw him died. When Jesus died, there were no followers of Jesus. There wasn't one follower of Jesus. When Jesus died, all Jesus' followers lost faith in him completely. 
When Jesus died, the people who knew Jesus best and who later bring us the story of Jesus did not believe what many of us believe about Jesus today. They didn't believe because he saw him die and dead people stay dead. It was the end. And this is where the story becomes both unexplainable and undeniable. Unexplainable because there's no good explanation for why Jesus' followers later risked their lives to re-engage. And undeniable because here we are 2,000 years later still talking about it. And the only reason I'm a follower of Christ, the only reason I believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the only reason I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life is because, according to eyewitness accounts, Jesus' story did not end when he died. If Jesus' story had ended on a Roman cross, there would be no story to tell. He would have just been another wannabe Messiah who made some crazy claims and did some really cool magic tricks. But even before Jesus was crucified, after his arrest, his closest followers who ended up recording what happened in what we now call the New Testament, they all scattered and they all abandoned him. They all lost faith in him. The very people who brought us everything that we know about Jesus today, when, he, when Jesus was arrested, they all ran away like cowards. The very people who brought us everything that we know about Jesus admit that when they saw Jesus die on the cross, they no longer believed who he was who he claimed to be. And the thing that reignited their faith that their, and their belief that Jesus was who he claimed to be was not something Jesus taught it was not something they remembered Jesus taught before. It was something Jesus did. He came back to life. It was something they saw. A resurrected Jesus. When Jesus died, you got to know this, when Jesus died, all his followers lost faith within him. And it's crazy. Jesus said, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to rise again. And no one believed that after he was dead. And we know that because when Jesus rose from the grave, like there's no one outside the tomb. There's none of his followers are standing outside the tomb counting down 10, 9, 8, 7. You ready for this? It's going to be amazing. Jesus rose to an audience of none because no one had faith he was who he claimed to be anymore. And then they saw him alive and immediately went from unbelief to belief just like all of us would have. Then, this is crazy, within a few weeks, the same cowards who ran and hid and denied Jesus after his arrest, and we don't even know who that guy is, the, those same cowards hit the streets of Jerusalem, the same streets, the same city where Jesus was crucified just a few weeks before, just a few weeks after that, they hit the streets of Jerusalem, and they began to preach about Jesus. And they didn't preach what Jesus taught. They didn't tell the story of the Good Samaritan and, you know, the prodigal son, and all those were great stories, but they didn't teach any of that. They went to the streets the very streets were just a few weeks before Jesus was crucified, and they started to preach a four-point message. You killed him. You know. You were there. You were there. You said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. We believed, and we didn't believe. Now we believe again, not because of what he taught, but because of what we've seen. And their fourth point, now say you're sorry. They said it a little differently. Actually, here's actually how they said that. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Like, hey, put your faith in Jesus, asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and leader of your life. And this was their whole message. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. They didn't talk about anything Jesus talked about. They talked about what they saw and what that meant for every person. You know, I put my faith in Jesus. And I think you should seriously consider it too. Because when Jesus died, 
No one believed. Zero. And then they saw something. They saw their risen Savior. And with the resurrection of Jesus, there was a resurrection of faith in Jesus. And within months, just a few months, thousands of people in Jerusalem, thousands of Jews in Jerusalem, the very place where they saw him die, the very people who saw him die on a cross, thousands of them put their faith in Jesus. And within a few years, tens of thousands of people throughout the Roman Empire put their faith in Jesus. Not because of what Jesus taught, but because of what the eyewitnesses saw with their own eyes. You've got to know that Christianity, it's not a result of religious teachings. It's not a result of religious ideologies. It's not a result of religious writings. It's not the result of a religious book. It's a result of one single historical event, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, for 40 or for 50 or 60 years, for the first 50 or 60 years after the events of Jesus' life, while the eyewitnesses were still alive, for 50 or 60 years after the events of Jesus' life, while the eyewitnesses were still alive, the message was the same from all of them. It wasn't, we believe Jesus' principles are true, Jesus' teachings were true, Jesus' ideologies were true. We don't, that's not what this is all about. It, it, their their, their uh, message was the same. It was Jesus died for our sins and was buried, and he rose from the grave and was seen. And these eyewitnesses over and over and over, Jesus died for our sins and was buried, and he rose from the grave and was seen. And that was the message for the first 50 or 60 years of the church. And that is the right starting point for faith. See, the right starting point for faith in Jesus is Jesus died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the grave and was seen. He died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the grave and was seen. Ultimately, the right starting point for faith in Jesus is the resurrection of Jesus. But you've got to know, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible says so. I mean, the Gospels, the, the documents that document the, you know, Jesus, Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection, the, the, the Gospels, they weren't written for another 40 years. And they weren't even collected for another 200 years after that. And there were thousands of people in the world who had put their faith in, hundreds of thousands of people in the world who had put their faith in Jesus by then. I believe Jesus rose from the dead for the same reason the people in the first century believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Because credible eyewitnesses said so. Matthew says so. And Luke, a credible physician who said, I have carefully investigated all of this, says so. And Peter, Peter, who after Jesus was arrested and you know, a middle school girl asked him, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he's like, no, I don't even know him. A little middle school girl intimidated him. Like, I've never even met the guy. Get away from me. Peter says so. And John says so. And Paul, Paul who steps into the pages of history as one persecuting followers of Christ and one trying to kill the church and stomp out the Jesus movement, but who later met Jesus first to face to face and became a follower of Christ. Paul says so and James says so. James, Jesus' younger brother says so. And I ask you all the time like what would it take to convince your younger brother that your younger brother that you are the son of God? A whole heck of a lot. Yet James, Jesus' young brother said that's just not my older brother, that's my Lord. That's my savior. The reason I put my faith in Jesus is because the same guy who ended up running away like cowards ended up dying not for what they believed. People die for what they believe all the time. They died for what they claimed to see. See, the fundamental question 
that every person, once again, sooner or later has to wrestle with is who is Jesus? Jesus claimed, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's who Jesus claimed to be. So who do you believe Jesus is? The resurrection of Jesus is the only reason to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And the resurrection of Jesus is the only reason to put your faith in Jesus. Actually, Paul said it this way. And if Christ had not been raised, like if he'd stayed dead, like everyone else stays dead. If Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your, here's our word, faith. Without the resurrection, he's saying you shouldn't even believe anything Jesus claimed to be or Jesus taught. Because without the resurrection, he's a freak. Without the resurrection of Jesus, faith in Jesus is useless because without the resurrection but but with the resurrection of Jesus you can believe who Jesus claimed to be because of the resurrection you should put your faith in Jesus because because the resurrection of Jesus you can believe that everything else Jesus said is true you can believe that you're a sinner and I can believe that I'm a sinner you could believe that your violation against holy created God broke your relationship with him. And my violation of sin against holy created God broke my relationship with him. You can believe the penalty of sin is death. Being separated from holy creator God, the creator of life, the giver of life, both in this life and in the next. You can believe that heaven and hell are real. And that this life is not the end. You can believe that all stand before holy creator God. And that we are all deserving of his Wrath. You can believe that all of us were helpless and that there's nothing we can do to get out of this mess. You can believe that, the greatest two words we talked about, but God. You can believe that, but God, because of his great love for you, offered you what you did not deserve and can never earn, forgiveness and redemption and salvation and eternal life. You can believe that God sent his sinless, perfect son, Jesus, to be sacrificed on the cross in your place to atone for, to wash away the guilt and the shame and the consequences and the penalty of your sin. You can believe that there's a resurrection and there's an eternal life that's available to you today. You can believe that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, but everyone can come to the Father except through him. You can believe that you were saved and you were forgiven by grace through faith alone, by asking Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and leader of your life alone. You can believe that hope is accessible today, that peace is accessible today, that joy is accessible today, that healing is accessible today, no matter what circumstance of life you find yourself in. You can believe that since Jesus was resurrected, he can resurrect whatever is dead in you and in your life. That's the good news of Jesus. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, you can and you should believe all that. You can believe everything else that Jesus said was true. Because I say it all the time, any guy who could predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, you kind of just go with whatever that guy says. So, I want to close with two questions. And the first one is for those of you who would say that you're followers of Christ, that you've put your faith in Jesus. My question for you is, is the foundation of your faith in Jesus the resurrection of Jesus or something else? What are the implications of that for your faith going forward? 
And let me tell you what the implications are if it's something else. The number one thing that I have seen that makes people abandon their faith in Jesus or lose their faith in Jesus or question their faith in Jesus is that the foundation of their faith being something else. You know, a list of behaviors or how the earth was created or when the earth was created or, you know, for Catholics, the seven sacraments or maybe it's around a doctrinal issue like prayer and, you know, the more faith we have, the more God answers prayer. And so we make our faith in Jesus the foundation all about something else. And when the starting point of our faith is anything other than the resurrection of Jesus, our faith is built on a house of cards. And you take one of those cards out and one of those come under pressure and the whole house tumbles. And that's what I've seen happen with so many people. You have to know and you have to remember that our faith is unexplainable, but it's also undeniable. Our faith is not based on some random ideologies that Jesus taught. Our faith is based on something that Jesus did. Our faith is not a blind faith, you know, built on legend, but an informed faith that is founded in a person, that is grounded in an event, and that is supported by historical evidence. Listen, I've questioned my faith at times throughout the years. And when I do, I go back to the one thing that my faith is built on, the resurrection of Jesus. And as your pastor and as your friend, I just implore you as strong as I can, when you question your faith, when others question your faith in Jesus, remember, look to, point to the resurrection alone as a starting point of your faith, the foundation of your faith, and the final apologetic of your faith. The more you do, the stronger your faith will grow in the midst of your questions and in the midst of your doubts, the stronger your faith will grow in whatever season you find yourself in. My second question is for those of you who'd say you're not, have never put your faith in Jesus, that you haven't started that faith in Jesus yet. My question for you, and I've actually asked this a few different ways over the last few weeks, but I want to ask it one final time today. What's stopping you from putting your faith in Jesus today? Now, in week one of this series, I asked you, if you could have one question answered by the end of this series, what would that question be? And some of you might be saying, well, what's stopping me, Ronnie, from putting my faith in Jesus' days? You haven't answered my question yet. Okay, well, let me ask you. If I answered that one question for you that you have, would that be enough? If all, all of a sudden, if I answered that one question for you, would you put your faith in Jesus today? Would you fall on your knees and open your, and you'd say, yep, today I'm putting my faith in Jesus because you answered my one question. Would that be enough for you? Come on, be honest. You know I wouldn't. And if I answered that one question to you, is that going to be the thing that your faith in Jesus would be built on from this point forward? Man, I hope not, because it wouldn't hold up. So, I can't think of a better moment to put your faith in Jesus than right now. Saying, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. Remember, this is all about that one word. I trust you. I put my faith in you. I trust you. I trust your death on the cross was sufficient to pay for my penalty of sins and that your resurrection proves that you can give me eternal life. I trust you alone to be my Savior, to be my Lord. I'm putting my faith in you by asking you to be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. Not because all your questions are answered. No one who's put their faith in Jesus has ever had all their questions answered. I can't think of a better moment to put your faith in Jesus ultimately because Jesus said we all need saved from our death penalty, uh, from the death penalty of our violation of sin against God. And then he claimed, he came to be your savior. Then he died on the cross claiming that was sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins. Then he defeated death by rising from the grave, proving he's the only one who could save you, who could give you eternal life, 
who could restore your broken relationship with God, proving that he's the only one who's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. What's the one and only reason you should put your faith in Jesus? It's because the moment Jesus rose from the grave, it changed everything. So the band's going to sing a song as we sit here, as you sit on your couch or at your desk or wherever you're at at home. And as they sing this song, I just want to sing this to give you an opportunity for those of you who never put your faith in Jesus say, what's stopping me from doing that today? And then after they sing a song, I'm going to come up and I'm going to lead you in a prayer for those of you who are ready to say, today's my day. Today's my day. I've been on this journey. And I don't have it all answered, but I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus' day and say, Jesus, I trust you. And right now, if some of you, if you're feeling that, you're already, there's a stirring inside going, ah, there's this tension inside, and you're going to, maybe later. I'd say, don't dismiss that today. Because I believe that stirring is God. And I believe that this can be the defining moment in your life and in your eternity. There in the silent tomb, the Savior drew a breath. Heaven roared and darkness fled. Creation shook, the stone was rolled away. The love of God overcame the grave. And
Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I just am in awe of you, and I just praise you for your death on the cross and just the extravagant love for us, God, that you showed us through that, and for rising from the grave and proving that you truly are the resurrection and life, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And for everyone who's never started their faith in you, put their faith in you, I pray that in this moment where they are, that they choose to start that, that they choose to put their faith in you right now. As they sit at home, as they sit in this room, the quieter they are, they say, Jesus, I just realized my violation of sin against God. I need saved from that, from the penalty of that. I trust that your death on the cross was sufficient for my forgiveness, sufficient to pay my penalty. And that you rising from the grave proves that you alone can reunite me with God in this life and in the next. So now, in this moment, I say I trust you. I trust you. I'm putting my faith in you asking you alone to be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. God, I thank you for all the people uh, who started faith in you right now, Jesus that their lives and eternities forever change in this moment. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.